Wow, I just finished an interview with Kay Warren, the co-founder of Megachurch Saddleback in California, and my mind is blown. Uh, I had no idea about her childhood, her sexual molestation. I had no idea about her emotional attachment with somebody other than Rick Warren. Uh, her struggles within their marriage and how quickly they got married. Uh, this interview, this conversation with Kay, uh, will encourage you. It actually shook me, inspired me, and challenged me being somebody in the public eye and how to really maintain privacy and integrity and always, always remembering that it's the end in mind in all the choices you make. You won't want to miss this show. Warren, it is great to have you on my show, Your Stories, Melinda. It's great to see you again after a few years. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, well, I think the last time I saw you, uh, we were together while you were promoting your last book, uh, Choose Joy. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. know a lot's happened between both of us in our own personal lives since then. But it's great to have you on the show as we talk about your new book that we'll talk about in, later on in the interview. But it's, it'll be great to get to know you as a woman as a sister uh, in the first part of the show. So here's the thing. I know a lot of my viewers and listeners know you as the co-founder of Saddleback Church with your husband, Rick, and the founder of uh, the Saddleback's HIV and AIDS initiative. They've read your books. And so they know you in that role or roles, Kay, but they don't know you as all the other things that you have dealt with and in your childhood. So let's, let's, let's just get to know each other that way. I think uh, that's the power of story, which is my, my heart, to hear one another's story and then learn and kind of glean those sort of nuggets of uh, gold from one another. So let's start way back. So I, I don't know if you ever would thought and dreamed that you'd be here um, at your stage and age. I don't know. But what, were, what was your growing up like um, as you sort of began your life? Yeah, well, my dad was a pastor, okay. so I grew up in a ministry home. That's um, really the only life I know, because my dad was a pastor, and then I married a pastor, so yeah. I don't know what normal <laughs> life is. I just, you know, I know a ministry home. Um, but we, I grew up in San Diego, California, and my dad was pastor of small churches, and um, I have a younger brother who's eight years younger, so for the first eight years of my life, it was just me. I was an only child until mm. I was eight. I often say that's why I talk to myself so much, <laughs> because for the first eight years of my life, there was nobody else to talk to, so <laughs> I carried on that habit of talking to myself a lot, but um, yeah, so it was a small family. Um, we were small churches in kind of a big city, so we weren't really well known. We could leave our house, and you know, San Diego's a big place, and so we weren't, it wasn't like people knew us, and so it was kind of you know, insulated, very mm-hmm. conservative Christian, very conservative mm-hmm. Christian home. Um, as I look back now, I just kind of put the emphasis on very, very conservative. conservative mm-hmm. But it was my parents were good. They lived out. I mean, we had stuff like everybody else, but they they were they lived out their faith. So it's kind of set me up for never really having a crisis of faith. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I thought. I don't ever want to be in ministry. I want to get away from this as fast as I can. I really saw my parents as people who loved Jesus, who had integrity. They were the same at home as they were, you know, at um, out in public. And I wanted to be a missionary. So okay. when I was nine years old, yeah, I we because we lived in San Diego, and it was um, right after the Korean War. And mm-hmm. um, I'm really old. I'm like old as dirt. <laughs> 
but there were a lot of Japanese, um, there were men who had married Japanese women when mm -hmm. they were in the service. And so then there was a large population in San Diego of servicemen who had married Japanese women. So in our church, there were a lot of those folks. And I then wanted to be a missionary to Japan. That okay. was where the, that's where Japan came in. To okay. Me. So I spent most of my life knowing, wanting to be a missionary to Japan. So, um, I, I never thought I'd be a pastor's wife. I thought I would be a missionary. And um, then I, you know, how far do you want me to go? I mean, go. Just a story, the background of you. Oh, so, sure. yeah. When I was really young. Yeah, when I was really young. Um, I was molested by mm -hmm. the, the son of our church janitor. And wow. um, I was like five, you know, five or six. Young enough to be very aware of what was happening, but also young enough and frightened enough to not have any words or language for it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I never told anybody. I didn't tell my parents. And it just became this, um, yeah, it became this thing that stayed inside of me and created both repulsion around sexuality and mm -hmm. fascination. And That's that definitely affected me, you know, mm -hmm. as, as I grew and you may want to come back to that at mm -hmm. some point. So, so then other than that, I lived, I had low levels of depression I didn't know that that's what it was. I didn't have words again for depression. I didn't even know. I didn't even know what that word was. And if I had, I would have instantly dismissed it because I was a Christian and Christians don't get depressed. Oh, whatever and, depressed is. Yeah. And Kay, when I went through my depression, I remember there are people that said, that's impossible because you have the Holy Spirit in you. How can you be depressed? I'm like, exactly. no, I'm depressed. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't need your guilt or your, th your things on me because I have enough on me. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Enough of a weight that I'm carrying here. Right. That. Yeah. So I didn't know that I had depression. I just or anxiety. I just knew mm. that if I had, you know, a date or, you know, as a teenager and, and I might spend days before that ruminating, just thinking in my mind a scenario. OK, so first we're going to do this then we're going to do this then we're going to do this. And then I would hit like the, the uh, rewind button in my head play that whole scenario, and I could stay awake all night long with these ruminating thoughts. I didn't know that was kind of like anxiety. Wow. I didn't, yeah. again, I didn't know. It was just what I was living. Um, so I went to, you know, got through high school, went to a Christian college and a small Christian college in uh, Southern California, met this wild and crazy guy named Rick Warren. <laughs> I was not interested. He was way too loud, way too exuberant. Just He was just way too much. Yeah. Everything about him was too much. I thought he was an amazing Christian, and he was a leader in our little Christian college. But for me, he was just too much. Um, but then I dated his friend for a while. Oh, interesting. Thought his friend was who I was going to marry. Oh. Only his friend didn't share that opinion. <laughs> um, broke my heart. And in that space then of in my broken heart, Rick moved in. Oh, so, and, so Rick was second. He he was he was mm. uh, because we we were friends. Yeah. But like I said, he was he was just way too much. He was just way too much. I was shy and quiet. And, and he's like, yes. And uh, yeah, I thought I needed somebody who was very gentle yeah. and meek. Yeah. And I, you know, I yeah. So I, I so my husband is like you, okay, and yeah. then I'm like Rick because that's exactly what he he would say. It's like this. That's yeah. Exactly okay. Right. I I'm yeah. tracking. I get it. <laughs> I, I didn't know I needed, I didn't know that I needed Tigger in my life, but I really did need Yes. Um, so through a long, kind of mm -hmm. a long story, we went out on one date. Eight days later, he asked me to marry him. <gasps> eight? Uh, eight days. <gasps> and what's even more remarkable is I said yes. <laughs> After eight days? Yes. Did you really know or was it just, uh, 
that's that's it was the first time it was the first time I ever felt like I heard God speak to me wow so we're we he's taken me out on a date we come back because we're you know we're Christian college students so you pray at the end of the day so (laughs) of course Mm -hmm. and of course of course and it's quiet and in the quiet he says I love you and I'm like what what did you say I said, I, I, I love you. I, will you marry me? And really, wow. I was shocked into silence. But I sent up this prayer to God and was like, what in the world? The boy is crazy. What wow. in the world? I, I don't love him. But I felt like God said, say yes, and I'll bring the feelings. Wow. I'm 19. Mm-hmm. And in my understanding of God and his will and love and romance, yeah. I said yes. I said yes. So we we got engaged and had a very tumultuous courtship, as you can imagine, because, you know, it didn't go the way all the way I would the way I told my kids to to date toward marriage with getting to know each other, know the good, the bad, yeah. the ugly, talk about all, no, none yeah. of that happened. And Kay, you're also bringing in, as just an aside, so you've, I mean, we, as you shared before, so, you, you know, you're molested as a child, and then you have depression, and all of that stuff brings, can follow you as you sure. go about life. And so, sure. you know, as you're going into that, I'm assuming that there were those sort of trails of things that were brought into the relationship. Well, they were, but I just didn't know. But you didn't know. Happened. Yeah, right. because I had- after I was molested, um, it kind of got buried. In my right. Yeah. I didn't think about it. I didn't know about it. I wouldn't even said it had happened. But when I was about 19, that memory came back. Mm. I mean, in a flood, I was sitting in a class in college, taking wow. a class, probably, I think it was a psychology class mm-hmm. and something triggered that memory. And as I'm sitting in this class, I had the full blown memory of what had happened to me. Wow. And I was, I, I mean, I didn't even know what to do with it. I did not even know what to do with it wow. because it had been buried for mm-hmm. so many years. Um, but I didn't really have any feelings about it. So when I, when Rick and I got engaged and it got closer to getting married and I told him about it, I was unemotional. It was okay. just more like, hey, this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't tell him about some of the other things that had happened, like that repulsion and um, yeah. attraction around sexuality. My dad had this... <laughs> pretty funny now. Remember, I said very conservative right. Christian home. So, but my dad had this shelf in in our in our um, living room of books, and he had Masters and Johnson, their studies. I mean, he had <laughs> why he had those books out there, and didn't expect his children to actually find them. I yeah. don't know, but I did, and I read them completely guilted out ashamed of myself for being interested. Mm-hmm. Again, my family didn't talk about sex. Yeah, We just didn't really talk about it. I got my whole sex education with the little golden book of knowledge with my parents pointing out flowers and bees. And I was supposed to somehow understand that had to do with human sexuality. It was really kind of a mess. So yeah, I also okay, I got the book too. Is the big, I think 1970s book where the two are like this two humps and then all of a sudden they become one hump on top of each other under a blanket and then all of a sudden she's pregnant you got explicit information (laughs) i got literal birds and bees oh no she really did eh i did wow and so when i look back with compassion on my younger self yeah i see all the things that kind of set me up for failure in my marriage Mm -hmm. those would be some of those factors so when rick we didn't know each other. He had moved to Japan 
to be a short-term missionary. Okay. I moved to Alabama to do short-term missions. We came back to the States, lived in different parts of the of California. And so when we got married, we were told strangers. So wow. nothing worked then when we got married. Yeah. Nothing. Sex didn't work. We didn't know how to communicate. We didn't understand how to do conflict. I was, you know, he was the run from conflict kind of person, even though he was so outgoing. He was like, uh-uh, we're going this way if there's conflict. Yeah. I'm not. Don't want to deal with it. Here. And me, I'm like pursuing him with all I've got, trying to get him to talk to me. And um, he, the further I pursued, the more he ran. Mm. And so within a very short time, we were just, we were in marital hell. It was yeah. awful. And we kept thinking to ourselves, wait, wait a minute. I saved myself for this. <laughs> this <laughs> Somebody has lied to me because they always told me, you know, if you are a virgin when you get married, mm-hmm. man, your life is going to be awesome. Yeah. And we were virgins and our life was horrible. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was there was just a lot of there was a lot of stuff in our early 20s. Um, now, did you have anybody it. you could talk to about that? No, yeah, no. that's it. That's I, I hear that a lot. It was the mid-70s, and Christians, first of all, didn't have problems. Right. Yes, that's true. Every problem could be solved if you just love Jesus more and better. If you just confessed sin, if you just read a few more Bible verses, it would fix everything. And we tried that, and it didn't fix anything, Mm -hmm. and we were miserable. And here we were loving Jesus with all of our hearts, both of us now wanting to go on the mission field. We weren't looking at, at... pastoring we were looking at still at the mission field um and and we just couldn't reconcile all of this brokenness yeah. um in our and there was nobody to talk to nobody yeah. you know okay uh, i wonder because you know when i went through my a very difficult divorce um a number of years ago eight years ago you know i'm in ministry i'm in christian ministry uh on television we're leading bible studies we're part of the church and even then we kept it hidden like all of the marital issues because there's this thing as Christians and as in the public eye that you cannot share because then you're exposed and then what are people going to think and you're supposed to be the example yeah. and you know now that I look back I mean it was it was the worst time it, you know you're isolated we didn't deal with conflict well and I was disappointed because I got married later like 32 years old waiting for the right guy and when yeah. that happened yeah. well that sure wasn't it, the marriage was not what I thought it was going to be yeah. no so I, I, I absolutely get that, you know, because it's you're trying to hide everything and yet everything was imploding and no one knew. So when we ended, everybody was shocked. Most yeah. people were shocked. They're like, there is no way. I'm like, yeah. And he left, you know, my my husband left. And so picking up those pieces. But I, I totally get that, you know, because you're in this marital conflict and you're not telling anybody. So you're trying to deal with it, you know, with the two of you. And that's not working. Well, we had this sort of fairy tale um, story of how we got together. You know, it sounds so romantic, yeah. you know, you get engaged <laughs> after your first date, you know, eight, that just sounds so yeah. fairy tale-ish. But, um, so they would say things to us like, we came back from our honeymoon and it was like, so how was your honeymoon? <laughs> you had mm. a great time. And we were like, yeah. yeah. You know, when mm-hmm. really we were in agony, mm. we were in agony. We were young and in a, in a culture, Christian culture in which, yeah, you couldn't talk. We felt like we couldn't talk about it. We didn't know what to say. We didn't know how to tell anybody that, it, that the fairy tale was really a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and after a couple of years, we went to Christian counseling. But I mean, it, 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 we went with shame. You know, really? we went to Christian counseling. 
full of shame that we were failures, that, that we were, that we couldn't make it work. And that, you know, we were failures, Christians, we were fail failures as um, married people, failures as ministers. Mm -hmm. Um, and thank God there was the most wonderful Christian man who gave us counsel, who's taught us how to start talking to each other because we didn't even know how to communicate about our problems. You know, we, we literally didn't know how to talk to each other about our problems. And, um, and he launched us on, you know, kind of the road to building a strong marriage. And, um, I'm so glad I stayed with Rick. Lots of people would have divorced, you know, Mm -hmm. through the years because those struggles just didn't instantly melt away. It took a long time for us to build a strong and stable marriage. But I mean, June, uh, you know, coming up, we'll be married 42 years. Wow. Congratulations. Grateful. I know, I know. I'm so grateful. But then there's a lot of blood, sweat and yeah. tears built on the ground, you know, to and, get to that place. Okay, it's so good to hear that. I mean, as someone and now I I just got remarried uh October twenty sixteen to an amazing man who is completely different than what I ever thought would be good for me. Yeah. And yet God had a totally different agenda because I'm like, because yeah. I, I said, I don't want to marry a minister. I don't want to marry a worship leader because they're flaky. I don't want to have a, I don't want to marry a guy with kids because I don't have kids. I'm not even kidding you. And then all of a sudden, here I am, stepmom, worship leader, former minister, theologian. I'm like, oh my goodness. And yet it works really beautifully. So clearly my, my taste in things wasn't working. God's was. Um, yeah. In the marital conflict, I know you do mention this, and this has come up, because I think this is important for women, about this emotional attachment. Because I think that you have to guard that. You know, as I was reading through your things, Kay, I'll be honest, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I I think I had those. Yeah. I think I might have had one or two. And if I actually pulled my girlfriends who are in ministry and in leadership, I would say, most would say, yes. Um, that's yeah, a big one. Attachment to somebody else. Besides yes. Your husband. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think people like to talk about that. And yeah. I think well, people don't. Scary. Yeah. And I don't think people want to talk and, and maybe not think it's so, um, bad because it, it's not a sexual affair. Like we didn't have right. sex with them. We just sort right. of like connected with them heart to heart. Right. right. Um, talk to me a little about, bit about that because I know there are people there right now and there are people that could are right at that cusp and people who like me who are like wow I have been there and I want to make sure I guard myself going forward yeah well yeah this was um um you know we've been married I think maybe two two and a half years and Rick was in seminary and um I was working you know I was the main support for our family while he went to get his master's and um and we were just so unhappy you know, nothing was really working very well. We'd started counseling for a little bit. And so we were starting to make progress, but still our marriage was very, very rocky. And um, so at the place where I worked, I was a receptionist. And so the elevator to our, to our suite was right in front of my desk. And I hadn't been there a few days before this gorgeous hunk of manhood walked out of that elevator in front of me. And I was just like, I was like, I was a 14 year old school girl again. My heart just kind of went, and I just thought he he is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. He is just so good looking. And, um, so I just, I didn't really mean to, but I just started like watching him in the office. And I made sure that I could maybe walk by his little office and say, hello, you know, as I walked past or that I timed my lunch so that maybe we were in the lunchroom at the same time. And 
I don't know. I just started this flirtatious thing mm. of where my focus, I started focusing on him. And then I started daydreaming. I started daydreaming of what it would be like, like to sit down and have a real conversation. What would it be like to go on a meal with him? What would it be like if he kissed me? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, my fantasy started growing um, way out of line, way out of proportion. And um, I, I started building this fantasy life around this guy. And I remember one day I walked by his office and he was talking to um, his wife, I think, on the phone. And I overheard him just being so he was mad at her and he was using language and he was he was just being mean to her. And it's like somebody took a pin and just went boop, and the mm. bubble popped because I saw that he was he might have been as good looking as they come, but he was not a nice man. Mm-hmm. He treated his wife terribly. And 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 it was so disillusioning to me, you know, because I had this guy build up in my head as, you know, he was just gorgeous and incredible and, you know, Mr. Wonderful. And and then I saw him as the real person that he was and I am just so grateful because I don't know what would have happened. What if he had been, what if he had noticed this silly little young woman who was, you know, kind of following him around? What if he had noticed that and responded back to me? I was putting my marriage in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it ended before anything happened, before, you know, he, he noticed my um, attention and my fascination with him. But what if he had, I, I put myself in that place with, I would have had to made a decision. Am I going to pursue a yeah. relationship beyond this emotional attachment? Am I going to sit down and have coffee with him? Am I going to go where else that might lead? Or am I going to stay in my marriage attached to my husband, even though we are miserable at the mm, moment? Wow. And so it's like what I say in the, in, in my book is that even though we didn't know how to love each other well, our marriage vows didn't become null and void. It's good. Yeah. Our marriage vows were firmly in place. They were vows before God. They were vows to each other, whether we were doing well or not. And um, I think that that pointed out to me how, how as, and you mentioned it, how close we skate to the edge mm-hmm. many times in our relationships. We, rather than saying, as, as the Bible says, you know what? Wow. Run, run mm-hmm. from those kind of, feelings, you know, put those feelings back into your marriage. Don't entertain those, that fantasy in your head. So instead of, but we think, oh, nothing's going to happen from it. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm just daydreaming a little. Yeah. He's, he's so cute. And so we walk like right up to the edge and, and then it's like, how close can we get to the edge of messing up before we really realize some of us actually take that one step too far. So wow. When I talk to when I talk to uh, folks about this, I always say take those kind of thoughts very seriously. Mm-hmm. They're not innocent. They're not just um, uh, they have potential to ruin your life, actually. Yeah. And um, but then you go, well, it's natural to be attracted to other people. I'm always going to be attracted. I'm always going to think a good looking guy is a good looking mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. I mean, hello. Hello. I'm a, I'm a woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, 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 that's kind of the way we're made. I, I know that that Rick will see other women that he'll think, man, she's pretty. Mm -hmm. But what we have trained ourselves to do is to take that attraction and put it back into our marriage to let it drive us back into passion for each other. And that's a choice. Yeah. I I was about to say, that's it. Kate. I'm realizing as I'm listening to you, it's all about choices you've made, right? Like it's choices of like, you could either go here to the right, to the left, you could pursue or you not, you, or you don't. 
and you're always making those choices. Say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with Rick. Um, you know, I'm going to trust God, even though it's hard. Because a lot of people wouldn't do it. It's hard. I'm out. Um, I'm really attracted. There must be some great chemistry I'm going to pursue. How, how do you, because I, I want to, you know, segue into your book. I know it sounds so simple, but how do you make those good choices? Because I find all around me, ministry, not church, a lot of us are not making the best choices. You have to begin with the end in mind in mm-hmm. everything. You have to begin with the end in mind. If I want to be at the end of my life, someone who lived with integrity and um, love Jesus till he comes for me, then I have to make choices all along the way that will get me to the end in mind. If I want to live till mm-hmm. Rick, I, one of us die, we want to be together till old age or Jesus calls us home, then I have to make choices every single day that lead me to the end that I want in mind. Good. If I want to be a good mother, then I have to make choices every single day to, if the end in mind is this, what will get me there? So if I wanted to have my marriage last through my lifetime, for me, I mean, I can't control Rick's choices and decisions. But for me, the choices and decisions I had to make were then if I want to if I want to be with my husband at the end of our lives, make it to our 60th or 70th Mm -hmm. wedding anniversary, then that means that any attraction I have to another man in those years has to be turned around and put back into my marriage. It means I don't let myself be in those places. I don't let myself, my mind go there. It's to me, the secret of it all is just begin with the end in mind. That is so what good. Do you want for your life. What do you want to be known as? You want to be known as a loving person. Then every day you have to make choices that lead to that end goal in mind. And too often, because we don't have that, in our, in our, in our Mm -hmm. thoughts, like, what is it that I really want to be? What is the kind of person I want to be? What is it that I want for my life? Because we don't have that clear. So then all the other choices become muddy, you know, right? It's, it's, they're not clear. So, well, if I choose this, it's no big deal. Or if I choose this today, it's no big deal. But you have to think if I want to be, for instance, if I want to be healthy, if I want my body to be as healthy as it can be through my lifetime so that I can serve Jesus with energy and Mm -hmm. passion and strength, it means then I have to choose what I eat every day. It means I have to choose how much sleep I get. It, mm-hmm. it, it means I have to choose whether I exercise. Those are choices that get me to where it is I ultimately yeah. want to go. I don't know any other answer. Yeah, you know, it. Kay, that's that's beautiful because I think for a lot of women, you know, th- that's really empowering because it kind of comes back to us and not yeah. looking at our circumstances to dictate right. how we go about life, right? And our relationship right. with God. I right. mean, because for you... Not only this childhood, you know, assault, molestation, marital conflict, this emotional attachment, depression, losing a child, you know, to suicide. I look at your life and, you know, you have made choices in every one of these, right? To go on, to forgive, to heal, to stick to it and hunker down. And and that's really as woman to woman so encouraging to hear because so many of us would be will bail. We'll remain victims of circumstances. We'll be angry at God. And I just want to lay in the fetal position on the floor and go home. Yeah. And I've done all of that. Yes. I've done all of that. I mean, I I would not pretend that that I haven't done that. Um, When I had breast cancer, I, I struggled so because I felt like I didn't struggle with why me. 
um, because I, I have an understanding that this is a broken world and stuff happens and it's not going to be right until mm-hmm. Jesus comes back. So stuff happens to everybody. So it wasn't the why me, but the timing of it. I had just become an advocate for people living with HIV and AIDS and for orphans. I'd gone to work after being a stay-at-home mom for you know all the years I was raising my kids. So it's like this whole new life was opening up ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited and felt sure that God had called me. And then I get breast cancer. And it was like, Really? (laughs) Right now? I I don't get the timing of this. So I struggled with timing, not the why me. But um, so I think all through all through my life, there have been um, those moments Mm -hmm. of um, of deep struggle with God after my son died, after he killed himself. You know, my faith was was crushed. My faith and my hope was crushed for a while. And um I had to rebuild it, but I chose to rebuild it. Yeah. You know, that's I chose to rebuild it. Um, it's not that you don't have those fetal position moments on the floor mm-hmm. or the covers over your head or the thoughts of, I can't do this, God. What you've asked of me is just too hard. I've had that, and I do live that. But at the same time, my end goal is I want to be, I want to be, I want to belong to Jesus in a way that I'm really his yeah. and to do that means that I have to have a surrendered heart through everything that comes my way. And that's a decision. That's a choice. You know, Kay, I remember even being in Toronto when, um, you know, you went through that, you know, with your son. And I remember getting emails and Facebook messages to pray for you and your family. I mean, here we are in Toronto, just outside of Toronto, and we grieved with you and we prayed. I mean, it it was amazing how the body of Christ rallies and covers. So I want to say that. I've always wanted to say that to you. I get teary because it came up through the feed. Then somebody wrote me because we'd had you up on yeah. on 100 Huntley Street and Crossroads. And so we're all praying. And it, I kind of sat back and said, you know, she may never know. She doesn't know us. But as sisters and brothers here, we were praying for you and, and Rick and the family. So it, it was amazing to see that happen. And- it never, I don't get tired of hearing that. Yeah. Um, because I know that, that thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were praying for us. Yeah. And I believe that it was the prayers of those thousands of people, you in Toronto Mm -hmm. and other places that have given us the strength to rebuild our lives. And so those, every single one of those prayers is incredibly meaningful to me. And, um, I, I will forever be grateful for those who have prayed for us and we deeply appreciate it. You know, okay, it makes sense as we've just heard your story, why you would write then the book, Sacred Privilege. Like, I mean, (laughs) you know, you you, as a pastor's wife, but anybody in ministry, anybody who struggles with, you know, acceptance and helping children, adapting to change and protecting your private life and dealing with criticism and living with integrity, all those things as we're writing. I'm like, that's just not a pastor's wife. That is me in ministry, a life, not even let alone me in ministry on television and on podcasts. That's just a a life that these are things that we we struggle with. Um, As you wrote this, you know, from the pastor's wife perspective, you know, your hope as people read this, what is your hope? Because there's so much here. There's so much good wisdom from a life well lived and choices well made. What would you say as as somebody picks up this book? What's your hope? Well, I did write it with through the lens of of pastor's wives, because as I said, that's really the only life I know Mm -hmm. growing up in a pastor's home and then married to a pastor. So um, that's the life I know. but I, I wrote it to um, like for the for the woman um, who or, you know, their male pastors, is, I mean, female pastors as well. So for the pastor's yeah. spouse 
if you're new, maybe I can save you some mistakes. I've been in ministry for 42 years and, you know, maybe something along the line that, that I've gone through will, will save you some mistakes and mm-hmm. some trouble. Um, so the person who's in the middle, you know, been serving in ministry for 20 years or something. And, and it's just, it's never too late to decide that the, that you want to end well. And so the decisions you can make here in the middle. And then for those who are maybe more, I mean, I'm 63. I, I, I will, will minister till Jesus calls us, but we won't always be at Saddleback. At some point we will turn it over to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so for people like me at this place to be able to go to look back on life and filter through the good, the bad and the ugly and to know that that serving Jesus with your whole heart and ministry is a sacred privilege. So it was kind of for the new, the middle, the people or at the lasting stage of that to just um, just stay the course. You know, Hebrews 12, I sign all my books, um, all, all the sacred privilege books, Hebrews 12, one and two, because it's yeah, you know what, run with courage, run with endurance, run with perseverance, the race that is the particular race that is laid out for you. And when you run that race with your eyes on Jesus, you're going to be able to deal with the criticism, going to be deal with all the issues of privacy and people wanting to know everything about your life. You're going to be able to live in that fishbowl because you're keeping your eyes on the end of our faith, the goal of our faith. And that's Jesus. So, um, I think that's what I'd say. It's it's supposed to be a massive piece of encouragement, you know, <laughs> 250 pages of encouragement to stay the course, hold on to Jesus, build an eternal perspective that allows you to take in the heartaches and the brokenness and the, the sorrows that come, mm-hmm. you know, life and in ministry. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Live with integrity um, because the gospel of Christ is, uh, whether you're in ministry or, you know, um, a post you work in a grocery store or you're a lawyer or a doctor or a school teacher. The point is we all live lives that, um, they need to be lives of integrity. Yeah. Lives that other people can say, Oh, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I get it. I get it. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we all have that responsibility. So it's, yeah, that is good. That is good stuff. And like, you know, as I was I was reading through it and, and and sort of listing all these different things, you know, this book is really for, like you said, anyone. I think it's great because it's from your perspective as a pastor's wife. Yeah. But I think anybody can engage with it and pick it up and take it and read and be encouraged. Because, you know, like I said, a lot of us struggle through this. And I think as my takeaway as we wrap this up, okay, it's you know, it's choices, but I think just your story has so encouraged me. I mean, I'm kind of in the middle of my ministry. I've been, I can't believe I've been doing two decades of ministry work and NGO work, but I'm faced every day with these choices, you know, how to be integral, how to not freak out on criticism because people do all the time. And it's not just about my character, it's about my lipstick, my hair, my laugh. Absolutely. All the time versus like, couldn't you just talk about that amazing thing I said within the scripture? No, you're talking about how my lipstick was too glossy. I know. know. I do. I do. And I think I I love that saying of sacred privilege because I think there are days I'm like, what a privilege for me to be given this work. Uh, that that really God has has entrusted to me, and I don't take that lightly. There are moments I'm like, you took like a a girl abandoned in an orphanage, and I was adopted by two Canadian missionaries, and I'm now here. It, it astonishes me how God will take that 
and a situation way back then and bring this orphan girl uh, to this place. So I, I, I love this. I'm so thankful that you have the courage to share your story. Um, it well, thank re- you for giving me the opportunity to, to share it. Yeah. And um, I just I, I'm so grateful for what God's done in your life and, Thanks, and how he has. Um, taken your story and he took you from the miry clay and set your feet <laughs> on a rock. Yeah. And um, you're a witness and a testimony of that. So thank you, Melinda. Thank you. Thanks, Kay. And you know what? We'll be praying, continuing to pray for you and Rick and your family and Saddleback and um, to you viewers and and listeners who are, you know, watching and listening on radio and podcast, please pick up Kay Warren's new book, Sacred Privilege, Your Life and Ministry as a Pastor's Wife. But like we've just said, it's not just for the pastor's wife. It's for anybody who wants to be encouraged to make good choices and see the sort of end of life in, in mind. And so thanks again, Kay. Um, great to have you on the show. You too. God okay. bless you. Bye. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Stay on. I got to take a picture of you. Okay. Because I want to show all the girls... Because they were so excited I was interviewing you. All my girlfriends. Hey, thanks for checking out this week's episode of Your Story with Melinda. There's plenty more at faithstrongtoday.com slash your story. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never, ever miss an episode.